Hey there, everybody. How you doing? You doing good? I hope you're doing good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, actually, I'm not doing so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not. Actually, I'm not doing so good. I'm actually a little pissed off right now. <laughs> pissed off at myself because I accidentally erased a bunch of work <laughs> that I did. Uh, this snowflake that I'm doing right now that you're listening to is a redo because this morning <laughs> when I was getting ready to uh, work on what I'm working on, <laughs> I accidentally erased <laughs> about I don't know, probably about four hours worth of work. <laughs> it's gone. And uh, first thing in the morning, you know, it's just one of those days. And uh, I'm pretty cheesed. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because if I don't, I'll cry. I mean, it was just one of those things that were, oh, you know, it's my own fault. I can't blame equipment. Can't blame anyone but myself. So... I wanted to continue uh, my discussion about the word fame. Actually, I'm kind of uh, regretting calling this uh, series, you know, fame, because I have to keep saying the word and I just can't stand it. You know, I really hate it. But, you know, I started it, so I'll finish it. So this is uh, the continuation of the conversation about fame. And uh, in the last episode, I kind of left off um, with the Pipe Choir live situation kind of fizzling out. And uh, during the time I was doing the live Pipe Choir thing, um, I was getting phone calls from this drummer that I knew. Uh, his, his band was called Preferable Sect. Preferable Sect. And Preferable Sect was a really great band. They were one of those bands that I felt deserved a push um, out of the city of Cleveland. I mean, they were really on a high level as far as songwriting was concerned. And uh, it was back when I was in Thumper Incorporated. And... uh, I was, of course, the drummer, and he was a drummer, and uh, his band and my band would do shows together every once in a while, and um, him and I wound up becoming friends, which was, in a lot of ways, you know, really unusual, because uh, drummers are very competitive, usually. It's a very competitive instrument. I don't know why that's the case, but that's my... Uh, understanding that I've come to over the years. Um, anyway, in this situation with this guy from this other band, we, we became uh, friends. I'm not friends like when we hung out or anything. Just kind of like when I saw him at a gig, you know, we would talk. And, you know, naturally when bands are playing together, they'll kind of like mingle and talk and stuff. And him and I would always kind of wind up kind of separate from the crowd, having a real conversation about something. 
And uh, he was a really great drummer. And apparently, you know, he thought I was all right, too. Because right around the time Thumper was breaking up, Preferable Sect was breaking up, too, for whatever reason. And he started to call me because he was putting together a new band with um, a former member of Preferable Sect, who was the lead singer. And that guy was going to be... The, the former lead singer of Preferable Sect was going to be the bass player and singer in this new band. And this drummer from that band was going to play guitar and sing for this new band. And they needed a drummer. So he started to call me. And it was like when Pipe Choir was kind of doing the live thing. And I was really trying to get my arms around that. And I wasn't really... Uh, interested in playing with anyone else um and if i remember correctly it wasn't the only offer that i had gotten to play drums in a band at that time so i was kind of like you know turning people down because i was trying to do this other thing and it wasn't just this guy that i was turning down it was not nothing personal it was just, I was really busy doing the pipe choir thing. Um, but he was really persistent. I mean, he just, you know, wouldn't take no for an answer. And this phone call thing probably went on for maybe like three or four months, maybe even six months, where it was just him calling me every couple of weeks or whatever. And, hey, did you change your mind? Or, and so finally, when the pipe choir live thing fizzled out, I decided, well, I should probably start drumming in a new band. And, and you know, he was really persistent about it. So I agreed to, uh, I finally agreed to uh, come down to their practice space and jam with them and kind of feel the situation out. Now, what kind of sucked was in the city of Cleveland, there are two sides to the city. There's the east side and the west side. I know some cities are divided north and south or whatever. In Cleveland, it was east and west. And the west side, from my perspective, seemed to be a little more middle class and um, suburban. And I was from the west side. These guys were from the east side. And the east side seemed to me to be a little more cosmopolitan, a little more upper crust. I mean, it definitely had its bad neighborhoods and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Both sides did, really, the closer you got to the city of Cleveland. But uh, there was this line of demarcation, you know, culturally in Cleveland. At least that's what I saw. That's how it seemed to me. And uh, having band practice with them meant, you know, this huge trek across town to go to band practice. And uh, at the time, I didn't have a car. I remember that. And uh, and the bass player slash lead singer agreed that he would come pick me up because he lived on the west side and we would go to practice together. So that's how we did it for a while. And that was kind of like the beginning of my relationship with him. 
because we were having this crash course of like getting to know each other and everything. And we wound up becoming really good friends. And I would still consider him a very good friend. Although he may not consider me one anymore. But, um... So, I went down to their band practice, and it went really, really well. Okay? I mean, it was apparent to me that there was substance there, that that we were... um, That there was some magic in the room, and it was worth devoting time to. So, we became a band, and we... um, we rehearsed a lot, a lot. It was one of the things I can say about this band, which later became Slow Bob, S-L-O-B-O-B. Um, we practiced more than any other band I played in, ever. And um, these two guys were a little bit older than me, And like I said before, they were in a band together already. So it was kind of like they were tight and I was like the interloper. I was like the new guy. And it remained like that until the very last day I was in the band. I mean, that dynamic never really changed. It kind of always stayed that way, that uh, we were a trio. And when a decision needed to be made... You know, if we each had an equal vote, I usually lost because they would usually vote together. And (laughs) that's just how it went. So we rehearsed so much and they were very methodical uh, musicians. They were not loose and bacchanalian and your typical, you know, stupid, you know, rock star kind of guys. They were very scientific about what they were doing. I mean, um, everything was thought out and very carefully executed. And, you know, like I said, of course, that meant rehearsing over and over and over again. I mean, we agreed to practice three nights a week and we practiced our set that we eventually worked out uh, three times a night. Now, the set list for Slow Bob was about an hour long, okay? We had 12 songs. It took us about a maybe six months to a year to really kind of write the material and have it ready for public presentation. And, you know, we practiced so much. And at the time, it was really physically exhausting to play, um, I'm not sure if people are really aware of just how physical of an instrument the drums are, but I can tell you that, it, I mean, imagine yourself, you know, sitting down for an hour and flailing your arms around uh, pretty much nonstop, and uh, um, your feet are being used as well. So, I mean, all four of your limbs are actively moving, and it's nonstop for an hour, you know? Uh, I remember back in 2006, I had a personal trainer, and uh, she was teaching me, like, the rudiments of weightlifting and everything. Practices that I still employ to this day. 
Um, but I remember talking to her about the physicality of drumming, and she was kind of just looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean drums are phys- a physical instrument? I'm like, <laughs> trust me, you have no idea. You know, it is hard. You know, it's, it's not easy. Uh, anyway, so practicing as often as we did kind of at the time it kind of sucked but what wound up happening and and the genius of it the the brilliance of that idea was that we had learned the songs so well that we didn't have to really think about it anymore like it was muscle memory okay and the advantage to that that I learned you know, from actually going through this experience was that for the first time as a drummer, I was no longer focusing on playing the music I was playing. I was now starting to focus on the mechanics of my playing. Okay, when I talk about the mechanics of my performance, what I'm talking about specifically is just... Um, um, my elbows, uh, how high are the sticks uh, going above my head? How am I hitting the cymbals? Um, like concentrating on smooth movements from one drum to the next, or, uh, you know, trying to apply, you know, some element of grace and, and smoothness to my movements. Do you know what I mean? Um, And it made all the difference in my career from that point forward as a drummer. Um, Just having the extra bandwidth in my brain now to actually be thinking about what my forearms are doing, what my shoulders are doing. And I really started to kind of change and, um, and advance my playing. Because we, we had just practiced so much that it wasn't like any other band I'd been in before for that reason. I remember the first night that I went down to practice with them, you know, I, I used uh, the guitar player's drum set. It was in their studio, in their, in their rehearsal space. And so he said I could use his drums, you know, just to kind of get the ball rolling and, you know, make it easier for us to get together. And, uh, that was like the beginning of a a thing for me too, uh, with this drummer, because, you know, he was really a, a technical drummer. He was like a jazz cat, you know, formally trained on drums. And I was more street. I mean, I won't kid you. I mean, I was really kind of, I was a natural player. I, I didn't take any lessons or I had no disciplines that were handed down to me. I just approached the instrument the way I thought it should be played. And he came from a very different um, mathematical, logical kind of place um, as far as the approach to the instrument. And at first that was kind of like a clash a little bit. But it was also like a very positive thing because even just sitting down at his drum set for the first time, it was so much different 
than mine. Um, he had invested a lot of money into his drums, and he was very careful about what drums he purchased. And I mean, he knew, you know, how many plies the shells had on the drums, and you know how many millimeters the drum heads were, and just he was just so into that. And I was so unfamiliar with that kind of thinking that just being in the room with him and being in a band with him and you know, sitting behind his drums as opposed to mine, it was just like uh, a revelation. And I think, like I said, at first it was kind of like a source of like contention between him and I. Um, and it did, you know, truthfully, it did remain that way for, you know, the rest of my tenure in the band as the drummer. But uh, it wasn't all bad, you know. It was uh, there. Were, it was it was probably the only real way that I would ever really grow as a drummer, you know, is to have somebody who's older who comes from a different school of thinking and you know be forced to be collaborating with someone like that so it wasn't all bad anyway but ultimately it made me a better drummer and that process of me becoming a better drummer started that very first day that we got together because I was using my snare drum on his drum set and he was like, you know, after a couple of tunes that we jammed through or a couple of jams we had, he was like, why don't you try my snare drum? Oh, no, 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 I, I'm okay, I got mine, it's good. No, 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 why don't, why don't you try mine? And sure enough, you know, I, I pop his snare drum on there and, you know, I'm sure that not everyone who's listening to this is a drummer. They probably don't really understand this, but I'll explain it to you. Okay, the snare drum on a drum set is central. It's a very important drum. And his drum was so much better than mine and sounded so much better than mine that I eventually went out and bought the exact same drum and... Uh, it was just a different color, and uh, it was a premier Janista snare drum, birch shells, cobalt blue is mine. His was like a burgundy, and uh, with a die cast rim on the top, and that changed everything for me. That drum, uh, you know, almost became like my signature sound. Like, when you listen to pipe choir songs, you're, you hear that snare drum. I mean, that, that is the same drum that I was using back in Slow Bob. And um, I'll elaborate on that more later. But this, this process began of, you know, of me and this exponential growth as a drummer only because I was jamming with this guy. And... There was a lot of friction, and, and that's kind of like how we worked as a band. I mean, in the creative process, it was really led by the, those two guys, and I was kind of taking a uh, back seat in, in, a, in a lot of the choices and decisions. But 
um, one of the differences, I would say, between him and I as drummers and our approach to that instrument, um, and he would probably agree with this, I'm not sure, but he would probably agree, is that I had a different kind of energy level to my playing. I wasn't as restrained and I wasn't as streamlined. I was a little more um, rough and a little more hard-hitting. And that kind of style, you know, slowly merging with what he was giving me, uh, what he was teaching me, really, uh, really molded me into a, you know, a, a drummer who was really, I was, I really felt, okay, I really felt playing in slow bob, especially by the time I was exiting the band, because that eventually happened, obviously. Um, I, I really felt I was playing at the top of my level. I mean, I, for, for a guy who uh, was self-taught on the instrument, I was really playing at a high level now. And it was because of him. It was not because of me. It was because of him. Okay. So, now, the music that we were playing was very uh, confrontational. You know, very heavy. Uh, it was cool because we had two vocals going uh, at the same time. Both, you know, the guitar player and the bass player would be singing. So they had this gang vocal thing going while we were playing. And it was really intense music. You can check out Slow Bob's music on a YouTube channel. I've, I've made a Slow Bob YouTube channel. I don't think it has any subscribers or anything. But um, the... The music is there for people to listen to if you're if you're interested in that. And if you do go check it out, do me a favor and, you know, subscribe, you know, um, help me out. Um, I need all the help I can get. But um, uh, so, yeah, the music we were making was really, really uh, sophisticated and very heavy. Uh, what they would call back then, I think they called it like sports rock or math rock, you know, uh, a lot of odd time signatures, a lot of, a lot of odd numbers, not a lot of evens. And, um, in, you know, because we were using those odd time signatures and everything, it was really kind of like breaking away from the traditional song structures and really you know, forcing like an unnatural feeling to all of the songs, like um, going against what would be a predictable change, you know, instead of doing something four times and then changing, we would do it five or instead of doing something, uh, you know, for eight bars, we would add another, you know, so like everything was like ripped away from the comfortable changes and the, the natural changes and it was really uh, challenging that way but at the same time I think it's really what makes that music interesting even today when you listen to it today I mean for me it really was you know taking me out of my comfort zone and it, it and that made all the difference 
as far as I was concerned. I mean, check it out for yourself and you can see what I mean, you know. And listen for that snare drum. (laughs) And like I said, they were very methodical and we would practice and practice and practice and practice over and over again. And um, we got it so tight. I mean, so tight to the point that when we played a show, I mean, we just laid it down. I mean, we didn't even have to think about it. And uh, we would just blast people, you know. And um, we established a buzz on our scene really fast, uh, based strictly on our live performances. And um, we started to, eventually, we started to travel and eventually we uh, started our own label King Size Records Um, I mean we did all kinds of things you know and um, I guess I can leave off right here and pick it up in the next episode I'm going to be talking a lot about Slow Bob um, because it really was a turning point for me it changed me as a person and as a drummer and as an artist on a molecular level. So I am going to devote a little bit of time talking about this because it's really that important, I think, to my story. Yeah, so uh, I think I'll stop there for this episode and I'll, I'll pick it up in the next um, I hope this wasn't too boring. I know it was a lot of technical talk, but uh, trust me, it's it's all leading us to the, the point I'm trying to make. Um, so for now, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. <laughs>